Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. Today, Robert Quintana continues his series on the books of First and Second Thessalonians, the two love letters the Apostle Paul sent to the people in Thessalonica, giving them encouragement and hope, and shares what that means to us today in part two of Letters of Encouragement. You know, I don't know about you, I can say for myself, I love receiving letters of encouragement or notes of encouragement. If I had to guess, everyone here today also likes to receive little notes of encouragement or a letter or a card, maybe on your birthday or anniversary, maybe it's a special time you like to receive something that says, been thinking of you, I'm praying for you. As a pastor, I have the extreme joy of receiving uh, little notes like this quite often. Um, From young to old, uh, sometimes I get little drawings um, that people, uh, little children will put together of me preaching. And uh, I've kept some through the years. Uh, When I had long hair, it was all bushy, Pastor Q preaching behind the pulpit, when I had a goatee, sometimes they'll, you know, put the little beard here. And that's their special way of saying, I'm thinking of you. Thanks. That means a lot to me. And sometimes after I do a funeral or a wedding, I'll get a little note in the card that says, you know, thank you for helping the family. Um, sometimes I'll get a note from a visitor. You know, weeks later, I was at your church a few months ago or a few weeks ago and Just want to thank you for the message. It was a blessing. You know, we all love to receive those kinds of cards, those kinds of letters. And there's something special about a handwritten note, isn't there? I mean, you can get a text or an email. Uh, You can even get a a positive comment on Facebook. Um, You can send a text to someone, but there's something special about a handwritten written note or letter encouraging you, just saying, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. This is exactly what Paul did with the church in Thessalonica. A couple of weeks ago, we kind of started a sermon series on letters of encouragement because this is exactly what Paul did to the church in Thessalonica. He writes two letters encouraging them, saying to them, I'm thinking about you. I haven't forgotten about you. I'm praying for you. In fact, I wish I can be there with you. And then in these two letters, he goes on and he shares some um, instructions or he says, listen, just keep this in mind. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at one of those things. He says to the church in Thessalonica, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep because I don't want you to sorrow. I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. And then he goes on to share with them, listen, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have hope that someday Jesus Christ will come and he will say to those who are asleep in Christ, arise. And he says in his letter of encouragement that the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and we shall always be with the Lord. Can you imagine receiving that kind of a letter, that kind of a note of encouragement? 
In case you weren't here, you might um, be interested to know that the first book of Thessalonians, written to the Thessalonica church, they say is the very first book ever written in the New Testament. Growing up, I thought it was Matthew, because that was at the first, right? It was at the beginning of the New Testament. But scholars and archaeologists seem to believe that 1 Thessalonians was the first book written in the New Testament, and that just a few months after he wrote that first letter to the church in Thessalonica, he wrote the second letter. They say maybe as, as little as three months, maybe up to nine months, but it was shortly after the first letter that he writes this second letter to the church in Thessalonica. Now remember, the city of Thessalonica was an important city. It was a big city. It was sandwiched between two major regions. And so there was a lot of travel that went through the city of Thessalonica. And this was Paul's MO. Paul would go to the big cities first. He would go to the larger cities and there he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. He would go to the main synagogue there and he would preach to the Jews the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he would establish a group or a church, a community of believers. He would then leave to the next city. And the hopes was that from that city, the gospel would spread to the surrounding cities or to the metropolitan area. But he would target the big cities. He would target the big churches, the big synagogues. And there he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what an amazing ministry Paul had as he went from city to city to city preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he shows up there in Thessalonica. He meets with the Jewish leaders there in the synagogue for several weeks and he preaches to them the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news being that the Messiah, Christ, had come, had lived among us, Emmanuel, God with us, that this God now made human, now made flesh, died on the cross for their sins. That there is no longer need for sacrifices. No, because Christ died once and for all for your sins, for my sins. And he shared with them that if you are in Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation. Because the merits and righteousness of Christ are given to us through faith and grace. And we simply now enter into this covenant relationship with him. And that was the good news. And he would share with them the works that Jesus did, the teachings of Jesus Christ, how he died on the cross and how he resurrected from the dead. And he would share with them that this same Jesus is coming back to take us home. And so you might remember in the first letter to the church in Thessalonica, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep. No, no, you need to understand. You need to know. And so he gives all these words of encouragement to the church in Thessalonica. We're going to look at yet another one of the things that he encourages the people in Thessalonica to know and understand. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the second book of Thessalonians, the second letter to the church in Thessalonica. 
And we're going to look at chapter 2, starting with verse 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. You know, I usually wait until I hear the pages uh, stop flipping. Um, But now with uh, smartphones and iPads, I'm going to have to come up with a new method of knowing when you've arrived to your text. Because most everyone is just, and now you're getting there before I am. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, starting with verse 1, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, now brethren... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. And so now he says, now I want you to understand something about the second coming. I want you to understand something about the return of Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him. How many of you show of hands? are looking forward to that great gathering. I don't know about you, but every day that passes, there is a yearning within me that gets greater and greater to just want to see and meet and just fall into the arms of Jesus. I mean, as we look around our planet, it is just hurting. It is just broken. And I just say, Christ, please come quickly. I can't wait until you stand and say, enough's enough. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, because the former things have passed. Ah, I look forward to that day. But here Paul is writing a letter of encouragement, and he says, I want you to know and understand something about the last days, about the second coming, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. In other words, don't be discouraged. Don't be troubled. Don't be confused about what's going to take place. He says, either by spirit, and we're going to come back to that word spirit, or by word, or by letter, as if from us. As though the day of Christ has come. And so he says to the church in Thessalonica, listen, don't worry. Don't be confused. Don't be troubled. Don't be shaken in mind about what you hear, whether through the spirit or through the spoken word or by a written letter. All right. And so he is explaining this to them. And he says, there will be people who come and deceive you, whether through spirit or word or letter, but you need to understand what I'm about to share with you. Now, you think I'm going to share with you what he shares to them. Uh Uh-uh, not today. That's your homework. Your homework is to go back home and read what Paul is telling them about the second coming. All right? So if you're looking for some reading this afternoon or maybe this week, that's your homework. 
You're going to read what Paul tells the church in Thessalonica. Listen, I want you to understand something about the end of time. We're going to take a completely different route here because I want to focus on one word specifically here today. And that word is there found in verse 2 where he says, Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit. That is the word that we're going to focus on here today because there is strong evidence that suggests that what Paul is talking about here is not to be misled by the spirit of prophecy. Don't be misled by the spirit of prophecy. And we know in other parts when he writes to other churches, he says there will be false teachers. There will be false prophets. There will be those that arise among you that will spread discord and will spread doctrines that aren't true, that aren't according to the word of God. And so he says here, listen, don't be troubled by the spirit of prophecy. And so today we're going to talk about the spirit of prophecy, or shall I say the gift of prophecy. And now you might start putting two and two together and realize why I said at the beginning that some of the young people here today will be challenged with, some, with what I'm about to say, with some of the things I'm going to say. And there's going to be some of you who have been around the church for a long, long time, and I'm going to say some things that might not sit well with you as we talk about the spirit of prophecy or the gift of prophecy. Now, what is the gift of prophecy? Or let me put it this way. Does the gift of prophecy exist? Is it something that's going to happen at the end of time? Is it something that we should be aware of? The gift of prophecy. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Let's read a couple of verses here that might answer that question. The book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. And notice, by the way, that we are in the New Testament. We are post-Christ. A lot of times we think of prophecy or we think of prophets as something that's in the Old Testament. You know, the prophets of old, the great prophets of old, or the minor prophets. And there's a a belief out there that I believe is, is wrong that says after Christ, there are no more prophets, no need for prophets. But listen to what the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for this reason, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying, or another word for that is the building up of the body of Christ. And so here we have it. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives the church is the gift of prophecy. In other words, there 
will be prophets. You know, it's interesting that as a church, we don't go, you know what, we have several good preachers, Mark Finley, Dwight Nelson, you know, we have uh, some really good preachers out there, so there's no need for any more preachers. We have enough good preachers. No, no, we say, no, give us more. Give us more preachers. You know, we don't say, oh, we have plenty of evangelists. You know, we have great evangelists out there. We don't need any more. The gift of prophecy, my friends, is a gift that God wants to give his church. It is something that will be given to the end time church again. We are told in Matthew chapter 24 that in the end times there will be false Christ and false prophets that will arise among you. So you need to be on guard. You need to know. You need to understand because you need to be able to differentiate between a good prophet, a true prophet, and a false prophet. It is a gift of God. It is one of the gifts of the Spirit that he gives his church. Let's go now to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, I just want to re-emphasize this point. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, he says here, and we can start, uh, uh, well, we'll start with verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God caused Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit There are different of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversity of activities, but in the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gift of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another... Hello? Anybody there? To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. The gift of prophecy is real. And the gift of prophecy is not something that we should shy away from or be scared of or think that because we've been given the gift of prophecy once, that it's never going to happen again. The gift of prophecy is real. In fact, jump down to verse 14, verse 1. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. It says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So he says there's all these spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church, desire love, desire spiritual things, especially, he says, desire the gift of prophecy. 
And unfortunately, how many of us have been sitting on our hands thinking that because we've been given that gift once, that that's it. I wonder how much growth we have neglected with that kind of an attitude. Here, Paul encourages the church in Corinth, pray for it, desire it, long for it. The gift of prophecy is real. Well, it's not the only time he says that. If you go to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, here again, just reiterating this same point. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, here again, Paul encourages the gift of prophecy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And this is one of the reasons why when we read in 2 Thessalonians, when he says spirit, this is why there is strong evidence to suggest that what he means is the gift of prophecy, that of prophesying. Prophecy, the gift of prophecy is very real. According to scripture, it is something that we should desire. It is something that we should pray for as we seek God for wisdom and knowledge on how to spread the gospel, how to build up his church. We should be asking for that. We should be wanting that. Like I mentioned before, the book of Matthew tells us that there will be false prophets. There will be false Christ that will arise among us. And the truth is that the book of Acts quotes the book of Joel telling us that at the end of time, your young men will dream dreams and your old men will have visions. Prophecy is a reality of life. We can't be scared of it. We can't run away from it. We need to admit and understand that the gift of prophecy is real. You know that the Seventh-day Adventist church has an entire doctrine dedicated to explaining the gift of prophecy. An entire doctrine. You know, it's interesting to me that there are many gifts in Scripture. There is the gift of tongues. There is the gift of healing. There is the gift of preaching, of evangelism. There is the gift of administration. There is the gift of compassion. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church has one doctrine completely dedicated to the gift of prophecy. There's a reason for that, and we're going to come to that in just a second. But you need to understand that just as we want good preachers and just as we want good evangelists and just like we want good administrators, just like we want great teachers among us, we too need to desire great prophets among us. And allow the Holy Spirit to bestow this gift on his church for the building up, for the edifying of his church. Okay, so now I know that there are a hundred questions going through your mind. I know that I've already opened a can of worms and your mind is racing a hundred miles an hour as you're thinking about prophets and false prophets and where's he going with this. And we need to understand if we can just just uh, just put aside all that noise for just a second and just start simple. We need to understand that the Bible tells us that there will be prophets at the end of time. 
We understand that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit that he gives to his church. And so we need to start from there and understand, okay, God, I understand that the gift of prophecy is real, that you will bestow that gift on your church at the end of time. Okay, I understand that. Where do we go from there? Did you know that the Bible gives us many criterias for how to identify a true prophet from a false prophet? I mean, after all, if there's going to be prophets at the end of time, and some of them are going to be false prophets, wouldn't it be good for us to understand how we can differentiate between the true and the false I mean, isn't that a good idea to know and understand? So I've chosen what I think are like the major ones, the major test of a true prophet. All right, so the first one is found in the book of Deuteronomy. Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, starting with verse 1. How can we differentiate between a false prophet and a true prophet. We know it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. We know he's going to give that gift to the church at the end of time. We know that they're going to be true and false one. How can we determine, how can we know a true prophet from a false prophet? Deuteronomy chapter 13, starting with verse 1. For If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, I don't think that this means those that daydream. I don't don't think it means those that just kind of go off into la-la land and you ask them, you know, hey, hey. And they're like, huh, what? What were you thinking about? Oh, just, uh, you know, just a cartoon I saw last night. I, I don't think that's what that means there. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer, Someone who is given a vision, whether during the day or at night while they're sleeping, the prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after another gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them." You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. Test number one. A true prophet of God will always, that word's important. You need to highlight it and underline it a couple of times. Will always lead you to obedience of God. Will lead you to an obedience of God, not lead you away from God. Will always lead you into obedience to God. God. So if someone arises among us and says, I've been given a vision, I've been given a dream, and that dream goes contrary to the word of God, and he is now saying, because I've had this dream, or because I've had this vision, 
we need to go against what the word of God says. In other words, we need to disobey what God has already spoken. Guess what? Red flag. All right? Red flag. You take out your pen, right? And you cross him off the list of being a true prophet. Why? Because he is leading you away from what God has already spoken in his word. You remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our God is timeless. He does not change. And so let me give you an example, a one that you could relate to as Seventh-day Adventists. We relate to this one. If God has said to keep the seventh day holy because in six days he created, but on the seventh day he rested, and that's what God has given us, guess what? If anyone stands up and says, oh, no, 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 wait a second, that's not true any longer, red flag. Red flag. You're leading me away from what God has already spoken in his word. Test number one. All right, test number two. The test of a true prophet. Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 8 and 9. Jeremiah chapter 28. Test number two. Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 8 and 9. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke of the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. Okay, so test number two. If the prophet claims something, if he predicts Something, in other words, he says, I saw in a vision, I saw in a dream that this is going to happen or that this is going to take place. Guess what? It better come to pass. Because if it doesn't come to pass, in other words, if he makes a prediction, he or she makes a prediction of something and it does not come to pass, guess what? You can take out your pen and cross them off the list of someone being a true prophet. You know, I've seen um, documentaries like on the Discovery Channel or the National Geographic about, you know, some of these, quote, prophets. And they'll say something like, he's been right 90% of the time. So we better listen to him because he's been right 90% of the time. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you sat down at a meal and that meal 10% of that meal was poison. Are you going to eat that meal? Oh, come on. The meal's 90% good. God says, "Uh uh-uh. Here's a test of a true prophet. If he says something's going to happen, or if she says that, that this is going to happen, it better come to pass, because if it doesn't, that is a sign that they are not a true prophet of God. Here's the deal. I don't care if they're 99.9% right. If there's that point one where they erred or they're wrong, no longer a true prophet 
of God. All right, test number three. Let's go to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So this is a little bit like test number one, but it goes a little deeper and it simply says that if they do not agree with this word, there is no light in them. In other words, if they're speaking contrary to the spoken word or the written word, guess what, folks? There is no light in them. Now, I know that this poses another problem for us, right? And the problem is this. How do I know if what they're saying is true or not if I don't know what the Word of God says? I mean, if I don't know what's in this book, guess what? I'm not going to know if what he's saying is true or not. And so many people just blindly follow and they say, oh, because he said so, it must be true. No, 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 no. We need to understand and we have to have a knowledge of what's in the word of God. Because one of the tests of a true prophet is, are they agreeing with the law and the testimony? I mean, are they, are they in sync with what the word of God is saying? Because if not, there is no truth in them. So we need to understand the word of God. We need to study the word of God. And let me just say a few things here that hopefully um, will bring relief or, or maybe alleviate a sense of guilt that I know that some of you might be carrying around here today. I'm going to go on record and I'm going to say you don't need to read your Bible every day. <gasps> the pastor just said you don't need to read the Bible every day. I, I grew up hearing that you need to read the Bible every day, every morning. And man, if I missed a day, or if I went a few days without reading the Bible, oh, I felt so bad. Oh my goodness, am I going to lose my salvation? I didn't have, you know, my Bible study time today. And sometimes what happens is that because we have it in our minds that we have to read the Bible every day, We just like fly through the Bible without ever letting the Bible really sink in. Without really ever allowing the words of Scripture to take root in our hearts. So so let me just give you some suggestions here, okay? If you come across a passage of Scripture or a section of Scripture or maybe a, a chapter in Scripture and you're like, man, that is good, that is deep, just meditate on that passage for a few days or maybe a week. Don't feel like you have to rush through it and leave it behind and go on. No, no. Maybe you found a passage that really speaks to you. 
take that passage, write it down on a three by five or, you know, put it on your, your note app in your smartphone. And every once in a while, as you're going through your day, just pull out that verse and just meditate on that verse. Let that verse sink in. Let it become a part of who you are and your journey in this relationship with Christ. But don't feel guilty if you don't get to read your Bible every day. Just take what God gives you and do the best that you have with it. Now, I know that there are some here that never read the word of God. That's a no-no. I mean, I just need to come out and say that's a big no-no. We need to spend time in his word. But don't feel guilty if you're not doing it every day. Just take those passages of scripture, tuck them in your pocket, refer back to them. You might come across a section in scripture that you have no idea what it means. Anybody ever come across a part of scripture like that? You read something and you're like, what in the world? I don't get it. Well, instead of just moving right along because you have to get through the Bible, right? Because you have to study the word of God every day, every morning. Read the same thing over again. And if you still don't get it, the next day, read it again. Or maybe set it aside and say, you know, I need a break. I'll I'll come back to it in two days, three days, and then come back to it again. Let it sink in. Let it be a part of your journey. But don't feel like you have to rush through the word of God. And so test number three for a prophet is that if they speak against the word of God, against the law and testimony, there is no truth in them. Test number four is my absolute favorite test. Let's go to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. This is my favorite test of a true prophet. And I have to tell you, in the world that we live in, it weeds out many religions it weeds out many denominations. First John. First John chapter 4, starting with verse 1. And this is what it says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Mark it in your Bibles. If someone arises among us, if you see someone stand up and not glorify the name of Jesus Christ and not stand firm on the gospel message that Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Creator, came into this planet and clothed himself in human flesh, And died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And on that cross, your sins were nailed. And he paid the penalty of death for your sins. If they do not speak of that, if that is not at the core of their message, 
that Jesus Christ lived and he died and he resurrected for you and for me, guess what? You can take out your pen and you can cross them off the list because they're not a true prophet of God. Bible is very clear. A true prophet of God is going to preach the gospel message. A true prophet of God at the core of their belief, a smile will come to their face when they talk about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Folks, this weeds out a lot of religions, I know. I know that this weeds out a lot of churches and a lot of denominations They claim that Jesus was just a created being or that Jesus was just a good man or, you know, he just kind of lived among us. No, no, the Bible is very clear. A true prophet of God will say, no, this Jesus, this Jesus God came and he lived among us, Emmanuel, God with us, and he died on the cross for your sins and he resurrected and he's coming back soon to take us home. Well, There are many other tests of a true prophet. There are things that we can look at, but I I chose to look at the four, what I think are the four most important ones, the ones that really just stand out there. Now, we're going to continue this series next week. And next week, we're going to take a look at Ellen G. White. And I know that for some of us here today, We can't even stand to hear the name of Ellen White. And for some other ones here today, that's all we ever talk about. Ellen White says this and Ellen White says that. I want to encourage you to come back next week because we're going to take a balanced approach and a balanced look at the ministry of Ellen White. And I think you're going to be surprised at some of the things that I have to say And I think you're going to be um, pleasantly refreshed with some of the things that I want to say about the ministry of Ellen G. White. So I encourage you to come back next week. But please, don't forget the point of today's message. That when we look at Paul giving these words of encouragement to the church in Thessalonica, he says, there will be the gift of prophecy It will happen. Don't let it trouble you. Don't let it confuse you. Don't be shaken by it. Because prophecy or the gift of prophecy is a reality. We don't need to be scared of it. We don't need to run away from it. Because the word of God gives us plenty of ways of identifying true prophets and false prophets. But we need to understand that it is a part of our church. Our Father in heaven... Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you long to connect with mankind. And you choose all kinds of avenues to do so. You might use a preacher. You might use an evangelist. You might use a teacher. Lord, you might use a song through the gift of music. Lord, you may use a prophet, whether through a vision or a dream. Lord, help us to understand this. Help us not to be afraid of it. Help us to desire it as the Bible instructs us to. And God, next week as we look at this very, um, I would say, touchy subject of Ellen White, because I know that there are some here that just, just cringe at the name Ellen White, and I know that there are others who, 
who just, Ellen White this and Ellen White that. And she says, and God, please help us to take a step back from our culture, um, historically the way that we've approached this, and really just help us to identify um, the truth about Ellen White. And so, God, I pray that from this moment until next, that you just work on our hearts, that you soften our hearts as we prepare ourselves to receive next week's message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at frederick.sdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link. 